so this one is a little bit different. Yeah, this is a, it's, it's not follow our normal podcast model. It's a, it's a little bit, it's a little bit out of the ordinary. We're practicing what we preach because we often say, if you find a pattern, break it. That's right. So we found a pattern in our podcast. Although I have to say the opportunity to break it really did present itself. It's not like we were chasing. This is true. We weren't chasing a break. Anyway, what it is, is a, is an interview. We were interviewed. Ted, Ted and I were interviewed. Um, we just are. We just wrapped up our mindful play, playful mind retreat in Maine. And while we were there, David Treadwell, whose home we were, whose whose summer home we were retreating in, and uh, he is also an author. He does a lot of articles for the local papers, and he's a journalist in some ways. Yeah, he's been writing for years and years, and is a great interviewer. And he wanted to interview us about what, what we were doing. He thought, oh, this looks like an interesting idea for a, a little piece for the paper. Yeah. So he sat us down and, as it turned out, walked us through our whole rationale for why we do these retreats and what we think and what our motivation is and what we're trying to accomplish and yeah. what we think happens. It was great. It was all about the retreat, all about what we, why we do it and what we hope people will get out of it. And it was actually really helpful. It was, I found it really helpful to to organize my thoughts around all of that and thought it might be a valuable piece to put out in case anybody's wondering what these retreats are all about. Yeah, and so you may hear some overlaps with things that we've talked about before in the podcast, but I think it will also serve as reinforcement and, and uh, maybe give you a little nuance more or some, some side angles in for some of the things we've talked about already too. Yeah. After we had that interview and after we finished with our most of our program, we also interviewed some of the participants briefly. Just ask them what surprised them about the experience and what they thought they might be taking home with them, what they might imagine themselves remembering a year from now. So we've included a few of their responses, little snippets. Thought you might enjoy that as well. Really, we'd love to see you on a retreat at some point. Down indeed. The road. Yes, indeed. So I hope that this whets your appetite and that it convinces you that you need to get in on this action. Amen to that. So uh, enjoy and uh, we'll see you soon. weekly column called A Little Old. I can write anything I want, they never change a word. So, after our experience yesterday and knowing Ted well and you some, I thought it might be cool to talk about what you do and why. Cool. So, thank you. <laughs> thank you. You're welcome. Anyway, what, uh, let's take big picture first. Cool. Why do you do a workshop like this? What is the hope to achieve for your participants or yourselves? Mm. This is the question. Isn't that the question? We've actually been working on clarifying, our clarifying and, and learning how to articulate what it is we're trying to do. But one of the ways I think of it is this, that we both have gotten a great deal in our lives from improvisation and from the gift that it keeps giving. Uh, Lisa often talks about how improv makes us into the best humans we can be or something to that effect. Yeah, we kind of behave as the best versions of ourselves, right. as the best, noblest versions of ourselves when we are behaving according to the principles of improvisation. And so I, I think of it as we have drunk from this well 
that is rich and healing and, and good. And our promise to folks who come to this workshop is to say, we will bring you to the well and show you how to drink from it. What you get from it, we don't know. But yeah. those who come here tend to have healing effects from it or, you know, play, they're enjoyable effects. Their life opens up. They see things in new ways. They find They realize things about themselves that they had forgotten. They, they uh, rediscover a, a creativity or a joy or a playfulness that, that had felt dormant for a while. So, yeah, I would echo that the reason I do it is because I think it makes people better. Mm-hmm. I, I think I think the practice has made me better, and I think it can make people lead a happier, healthier, more kind of positive life where they they have deeper satisfaction with what they're doing, and they are more connected to one another, and they are um, have kind of a deeper level of satisfaction. And I want to show, I, and I want that for people. <laughs> yeah. And and our our earliest versions we called improv wisdom, and so they were more purely improv. And partly as a result of my own, my journey into the world of mindfulness and teaching mindfulness, we've decided to integrate that more, partly because they, mindfulness and improv have so many things in common, but they're mutually supportive and reinforcing and enhancing. And so there's something about what this retreat offers uh, is a real balanced approach to building this kind of presence in the world joyful, nimble, alert, connected presence. How do you, what do you do? <laughs> What's, how do you bring off improv and mindfulness? Yeah. Uh, Exercises th- or? <laughs> He's doing it. But uh, uh, yeah, we play games. We play a lot of games. We do a lot of exercises. We enter, uh, many of those come from the world of improvisation. We intertwine them with, like we start every day with mindful movement, Ted leaves mindful, like some movement in the morning and then also a meditation. So we kind of intersperse the improv exercises with mindfulness exercises. What, what would movement in the morning be like? It's kind of like yoga. It's like yoga light. What most people, yeah, yoga light. I'm not a trained yoga teacher, but I am trained to help people pay attention to movement and so there's that kind of starts the day off and gets us in, uh, in sync with each other through silence and, and awareness. We also intersperse the activities we're doing with more contemplative practices. So sometimes we'll use art or we'll use writing, writing to music um, or we'll ask people to go for a walk. We, on the last day, as part of our wrap-up and integration, we use some artwork to have people Inspire. tap into their intuitive knowing yeah and the uh to be clear about the kind of exercises we do we have modules or we have we have called the skills that we think are the most powerful from improvisation spontaneity support collaboration um and and the specific skills that go into those things listening paying attention accepting offers being spontaneous touching your getting in touch with your imagination boldly accepting the offers your partner gives you and the offers that your own imagination gives you. And all of those are practicable skills. So we do all of the, the exercises that we do teach and practice those skills. And they also build a kind of ensemble. So we get 
folks who arrive here, some of them have done improv before, some of them haven't. Uh, some of them have done meditation or mindfulness practice, some of them haven't. But what we want to do is create a trust to say, okay, we're in this together. And so we also talk a lot about relationship to failure and helping people be comfortable messing up because that's part of, uh, part of what you need for improv. Yeah, and we actually practice and we teach and practice supporting each other in failure. Yeah, and, and also redefining it. So what people usually think of as failure, we're like, well, maybe that's actually not failure. Yeah. Um, so that's a big piece of it. Um, and, and so a lot of those games and exercises are ones that people use as training for improv. Um, and we're using them for that and applying to life as well. And then sort of in the latter parts of the retreat, we'll get more into improv scene work. So this morning we had folks doing park bench scenes where someone's sitting on a park bench and someone else comes in and meets them and we just do the spontaneous what unfolds. Yeah, a little what conversation between characters so that are utilizing all these skills of like paying attention and accepting offers and noticing offers and working together to figure out what the scene is, basically. And why are improv skills helpful to living a life? Oh. Or, or having a career or teaching or mm-hmm. whatever. Yeah. yeah. I guess I guess so, I guess so something. Many, yeah. So, so in so, so there are ways in which I think improvisation is like human interaction distilled. It's like improvisation is like a human interaction lab in that you're learning names all the time because you're in these different scenes and you're working together to build something out of nothing in the face of changing circumstances. And in some ways, this is what we're doing every single day, right? We, we don't wake up with a map of what our day is going to look like. We might have a plan or a calendar or whatever, but we're faced with the unknown all the time. We're faced with the unexpected all the time. So most people just kind of get through their lives and they're improvising, they're making it up as they go along, but they never stop to practice the skills that make them good at that. And improvisation does that. It says, hold on, how, how, what is in your power to make this conversation richer, better, and more fun? What is in your power? What kind, what kind of um, process can you practice to make your dealing with the unexpected more productive and more positive? What practice can we put in place to make, uh, to make it so you are getting more out of the world around you because you are actually paying attention and noticing more um, and not, not missing the, the little things and the small details? What, what can you do to make it so that people want to play with you? Yeah. And by play with you, I mean like hang out with you, be around you, work with you. Be learn in conversation with you. With you. Yeah. Um, and so, it, as, yeah, it's, it's distilled... And it's, it's a focused practice on those skills. Focused practice on those skills in a way that's fun. It's, and, and it's, it's really lots fun. Lots of laughter, <laughs> lots of discovery. Um, and so then the thing is that mindfulness does that too. So it's like by learning to be present with your experience, you get to be more resilient. You're not swayed by the pull of the puppet strings of your preferences. Like, oh, I don't like this. I'm going to reject it. I like this. I'm going to grab to it. It's like, no, I'm going to notice the push and pull and say, all right, what other choices are available to me? And now I've got a wider range of options. So yeah. probably I can choose a better one. But the, one of the things we talked about today that for me is, is the crux of the matter with both of them is about learning how to be connected. And 
learning how to choose to be connected. So there's so many choices in every moment, every day where it's like, I'm just going to retreat. I'm going to separate. I'm going to be on my own because it's too painful or it's too challenging or it's whatever. And both of these skill or worlds give us ways of being present and saying, hey, you're there. I, I want to connect you. with you. I see with you. I want you to see me. I want to share this part of myself. And when we do that, maybe it actually hurts more, but it's more alive. And it's a more honorific way of using the gift of being alive. Yeah. There's also, I think that, I think in some ways improvisers have a, um, it's like a little superpower mm. because they practice creating relationships with in character, right? Like we do scenes and I build, you know, over the course of a night, I'll do 18 scenes or 12 scenes or whatever it is. And in every scene, I'm building a different relationship, right? Like, I mean, literally I'm playing the daughter to somebody else's and somebody else's my mom. I'm playing a coworker to somebody. I'm playing a mad scientist. I'm playing a, a this or whatever. We're always creating these relationships and we have tools. Improvisers have tools for figuring out what this relationship is about. Like, who's got the power in this relationship? What is really going on in this relationship? What is this, how does this character feel about me? What's happening underneath the surface? Like that, because that's what the story is. So if we're gonna create something satisfying for an audience to watch, we need to be able to see what's going on with our partner, like, and, and the other character in the scene. And that means that we can do that in real life. And so it's so, uh, like in conversation, we have those skills honed for, oh, what's, what's really going on here? And like, we were kind of looking below the surface to understand what the dynamics are in relationships as opposed to just what the, what the surface plot is. Right, to get to the subtext, the yeah. more interesting story. So we can really see, we can really see what's really happening between people, which, which in some, I think that there are large swaths of the world that miss that, that miss it. They miss that stuff. What keeps people from, what makes people miss that? What keeps them from... Being open, spontaneous, uh, flexible. Uh, well, one of the things is fear of failure. You know, we're so... Uh, many people are shamed for failing. And many people shame themselves for failing for a lot of reasons. But I think that um, it, you know, there's a vulnerability in being alive and being vulnerable. To, to let people see who you really are means that they can hurt you. And so it's like, well, we usually um, give up connection at the expense of we're willing to sacrifice connection because we want to be protected right? yeah and and so um, safety yeah the, the keith there's a keith johnstone quote keith johnstone's one of the father figures of modern improv and he's wrote a book called improv in it he says that those who say yes to life are rewarded by the adventures they have well he says those who prefer to say yes those who prefer to say yes. he doesn't exactly say yes to life oh he says those who prefer to say yes those who prefer to say okay. yes Thank you. Are rewarded by the adventures they have. Those who prefer to say no are rewarded by the safety they attain. And so it's like, I think that we, we say no, we guard ourselves because we don't want to change. We don't want to be threatened. Devil, it's like the devil you know is better than de the devil you don't. Like the unknown is very the, threatening. The, what it? the devil you know. Oh, devil you know. Yeah. The devil you know. So like... Uh, I thought you said the W, you know. <laughs> you know. W Bush. Right? The, w, yeah, the W you know. Um... The, so that the, so it's fear of failure, but it's also just fear of, I'm not quite sure what's out there. And so nah, I'm fine. I'll stay in here. Uncertainty. Yeah. And there's a improvisation breeds a trust 
in the present moment and in yourself that when you get there, you will have what you need. You will have what the moment requires. You'll just have what you need. It breeds this resilience in the same way that Ted was saying that mindfulness does. Yeah. So it, it takes away some of those, those knee-jerk reasons we say no to things and no to each other. Changes and the default. It changes the default. And it allows us the trust that like something really great might lie on the other side of, a, of a, an open attitude or a yes. Do you get people in individual or in groups that it's really hard to break the dam? No. You're pretty good at breaking that dam quickly. I mean, have, oh, I think that there are people that it's very hard sometimes. They haven't been in our workshops. Not in these workshops. And I, I don't although, know. So, although there's varying degrees. Some people come yeah. in and they're like, I get it. I'm blown open. I'm ready to go. And some people, it's like a little bit of a harder nut to crack sure. of having to point out examples of like this, that, that was a no. This is an example of not, not really accepting your partner's idea. This is a, you know, that it's, it's more insidious because it's more deeply ingrained. Some people have like a more deeply ingrained sure. protection or guardedness or no, no reflex. Right. And so you really got to so, work with it. I don't, mean, I don't mean to be flippant or arrogant about saying no, people don't have a... It's just that we, historically, in our workshops, I think that we do a good job of making a safe space. Setting the tone. Setting the tone. And like we uh, demonstrate, we're practicing what we're preaching. And so when people are with us, they f feel safe because we're treating them well. We're honoring who they are. And when they make mistakes... We're not shaming them. We're in fact celebrating it. Yeah. Visibly and vocally. So that can be revolutionary. That can be revolutionary for people and revelatory. And when those habits are so deeply ingrained, they sometimes people surprise themselves with like, I didn't even realize I was saying no. Right. You know. Right. Um, and then so over the course of three or four or five days, it's like this water that washes away the calcified fear. And then they start to form an ensemble and they realize, oh, wow, we've, I've got these friends, these people I didn't know who I feel really close with because we've been playing all this time. And yeah, and I think that's the, the power of doing it residentially and for many days at a time in this sort of retreat setting is that you get to kind of sit in Steep. this yeah. environment in which everybody speaks the same language and approaches risk in the same way and is mutually supportive and and people get the opportunity to feel what it's like to be this way so it's not just learning that you could be that way it's not a knowing thing it's like they get it they have a chance to get it in their bodies mm -hmm. and understand how free that can make a person feel and then they're like i want to i want to figure out a way to bring this back with me to my normal life like how can i maintain this thing and i think that you don't get that from like a weekly class you get a taste of it but i think it's a it's kind of a more concentrated dose and and we've got the luxury by design of people are retreating from their regular life so it's like we're asking them not to be on their phones a whole lot not to be on their computer a whole lot and to be with each other and so we're sharing meals together and so the conversations at meals are supporting what we're doing and it's, a, it's kind of a holistic thing. Uh, normally, if you're teaching an improv class or a meditation class, people have their experience and they go away for a week. Now, that can be great because it can be marination time and then you come back and you've got experience to draw on. 
but there's something about just being able to stay in it and stay in it and stay in it that I think it can go deeper. And then you can carry that with you for a long time. Like when I've been on silent retreats, five days of being silent in meditation lasts me six months of what I could do in a daily sitting practice. It's like a little sponge and you have the time to like fill all up. Yeah, and then it like over... Leaks out over time, yeah, but you, yeah. You find yourselves when you're out there in the world. I noticed the other night when that waiter was a good play guy, right? The tall waiter. Yeah, yeah, yes. fun. Yeah, he, he was right there at the outset, right? Yeah. Right, when we went to the Frontier Cafe. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of people aren't. Right. In fact, most people aren't. Right. Do you try to play with stray people? Yes. All yes. the time. All the time. And in fact, I mean, I would say every time I have a, I'm at a restaurant, I will try to play with the server. Uh, and you get pretty quickly which ones will and which ones won't. I yeah. deal with flight attendants, grocery same, store same attendants, yeah. uh, garage people at the car mechanic. Like, I just always want a little something, like, because it's so fun. Will you play with me? Will you just? And some people pick up on it. Most people don't. I'd say yeah. Serv- servers do often because they're because they're, they're in the server. They're like they're they're because their tip depends on it. They're trained to connect. You know? Yeah. But do you find yourselves? Getting in the no mode, you must sometimes. Uh, I do more so if I'm tired and hungry. That's really the time when I will, or if I'm overstimulated uh, with noise or information or whatever, I'll just be like, mm, I need to, no thanks. And I, I can certainly be judgmental, and but then I'll catch myself. But yeah, it's the more we teach it, the better I'm getting at that. You're pretty, if, yep. if there's someone around who's willing to play with me, a play. Oh yeah. And it, but it, but it like that. Uh, in the like, in those in those times when I'm super tired or like, uh, but then there's like this little twinkle of like, hey, I'll play. I'm like, ah, like this is a second wind. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know that I that I that I get into like a grouchy no mode. I sometimes I um, I think I say yes too much. I kind of overextend myself because I like really have got my feelers out out here all the time and I like that that it's like a little bit of a drug for me though it's like a little bit of a drug and so I have to remind myself to like uh, come on back in like you you can say no to to the world for a second just so you can say yes to your own self-care for a little bit which is like it's harder for me to get and how do you react or feel to people who don't want to play which some people don't many people don't. okay or whatever yeah you can't make someone play yeah, I, I maybe you're more noble than I with this. I think sometimes I'm I'm just like, all right, well, that's that's not your thing. Okay, that's fine. Other times I'm like, really, come on. And other times I feel even more judgmental than that, like freaking, you know, miserable. Yeah. Oh, look at your world. You're locked in. You know. I, but it, there's so much opportunity, and then sometimes I'm also I feel sad, like. You know, like, like because they wouldn't play with you or yeah. sad for them because they don't Both. play? Both. Like, I really wanted to play, you know? Yeah. Yeah. But I suppose I get whatever the little judgment I have, I get over it pretty quickly. How does this help teachers be better teachers? Oh, my gosh. Think? Crazy. I mean, one of the things we talk about is presence. And so personal presence and physical presence and presence with the breath and with the voice. And... Uh, if you know how to stand and carry yourself in a way that invites connection, 
it's much easier to be a public speaker who can command the, the attention of a room. Attention and trust. And uh, Great. That's beautifully said. You know, like not only can you command their attention, but they They're feel they feel connected to you. Yeah. So it's double duty. And and so there's that. That alone, I mean, I, I used to teach, and I would see a lot of teachers who would struggle so hard to command the room, and it's like... Um, a teacher with presence can walk in and the kids will listen to everything you say because you're grounded, you're there. It's like, ooh, what does this person have to say? It was a kind of charisma. I also think that the skills of improvisation and mindfulness are super helpful in responding to what kids bring forward. So any classroom, you don't know what the kids are going to say. No, and in some ways, they're like your partners in a scene. That's right. Right? So improvisers are trained in responding positively and productively to their partners in a scene because they're all they have, right? And so in, in a way, the students are the teacher's partners. And so training how to, how to respond. Uh, one of the main rules of improvisation is, is yeah, right, yes, say yes. We've just talked about that. And, and say yes what to? Uh, say to, to accept the offers that are, that are presented to you and, and to build upon them. And one of the things that that does is it inspires the imagination of the person who's bringing you the idea. Which you could imagine if, if you consistently bring your ideas to somebody who is always shutting them down, you'll stop bringing them ideas. You might, stop, you might even stop like, having ideas that you could bring them. It's like it just kind of shuts the whole process down. Whereas if there's somebody who's like, oh, I love that. Yeah, I love that. Give me more. What else? What else? You, you have more ideas. It's, it's this inspiring, I mean, it's, it's an inspiring mode. And so, so training teachers to re work their, their no default, or they're like, we're sticking with the plan default, and teach them how to, how to say yes or accept some, accept some part of the input that their students bring to them is a, is a huge part of stoking their students' inspiration and, and keeping them inspired as learners, uh, which is such a powerful thing. And I, it also, also energizes the teacher themselves. Yeah. So it's like, okay... I might have a lesson plan that I know has worked for four years in a row and I've got a certain amount of time and it's going to get us through from point A to point B so I can get to tomorrow's lesson plan. And when something different happens, it's like, ooh, there's an energy there. You know, I come alive, my voice comes alive and we're discovering something together. So a teacher who has improvisational skills cultivates that much more often. That's all fine for teaching, but what about the real world? What about business? What about setting you up yeah <laughs> <laughs> that's all fine and good yeah. <laughs> enough of that you're so anti-education <laughs> what about in the business world what about yeah. in the day to life what about living with your spousal unit yeah what about yeah okay well the business ones i think it's just like slam dunk wildly easy easy to talk about because it's like you know if you serve i think i've seen a couple surveys and i'm going to paraphrase them and not get them precise but like, what are the skills needed in the 21st century? Right, right, right. right? Collaboration. Yeah. Adaptability. Adaptability. Emotional intelligence. And it's like, well... Check, check, check. What, what are these... You know, what's going to give you that? Uh, it's these, right? Uh, I also read recently an article about... I think I told you about this. Google did a whole project on what made their most productive teams productive. And... What they found was, and they kept looking for the data, like the, they kept looking for, is it the combination of backgrounds? Is it a diversity of ages? Is it a, or, or experience level or whatever? And they couldn't find any kind of hard and fast 
um, or rather quantifiable data, except that when they started qualitative data, qualitative surveys and inquiry, they found that the single most uh, important factor was psychological safety. That all of the people on the team felt that they could take risks and speak their mind and they would be they would be supported and respected if and respected if they did that and that is what improvisation teaches mm -hmm. so it's like very it's like a one-to-one -one mapping for for business yeah. and then on the mindfulness to side, be successful or productive or for 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 how improvisate how the skills of an improviser uh, reacting quickly and positively in the face of changing circumstances and remaining collaborative like that's what business people have to do okay. that's what improvisate that's and what improvisers safe have to do teams and, yeah um, and then you know mindfulness builds the emotional intelligence and the ability to stay focused uh, and concentration it builds an ability to see what's really happening rather than running off on stories and creating these sidetrack diversions because I've got all my interpretations and reactivity. So there's, there's an efficiency and a resiliency to come out of mental clarity you know, that business is, is, uh, is helpful. Yeah. So that, that's kind of... That's, so that's business. That's kind of the slam dunk of business. Yeah. And then things like relationships and spousal, like spouse relationships and things like that. It's like, I've, I've actually had a lot of people... When they learn the say the say when they learn to say yes and they practice saying yes and they go oh my god, I say no I block my husband's offers all the time for no good reason they start to look at their relationships in terms of what am I saying yes and what am I saying no and am I am I you know am I accepting his offers am I and and that promotes generosity and kindness and adventure mm -hmm. you know and even the small one like the the little things like. Hey, do you want to go for a walk? Oh, uh, you know, no, I, I have I to get ready gonna, in 20 minutes. I've got and, some emails to do and I can't. And it's like, so well, yes. enough of those no's. It just like chips away, chips away. At the connection. And to be with someone who is consistently looking for what they like in what you say and affirming who you are, it's just a delight. There's also like a, you know, one of the rules of improviser, of, of improv is make your partner look good and do what's needed. And it's Those like, two things are you got so a relationship powerful. in which you're both trying to make the other one look and feel good, and you're both doing what's needed? Yes. Yeah. I mean, last relationship I was in, very close, loving relationship, and uh, we both were so good to each other that way. Like, I see you need this. I'm going to step up. Mm -hmm. You know, um, you, make a, you make a request or a suggestion, yeah, I'll do that. Sure. And I think part of the reason is because one of the things that improv, at least the way that we teach it, does, is it like, it's not about your ego. It's not about my ego. It's like when we're building a story together, both of us, are, our priority is serving this story. We want to do what the story needs us to do. Even if that's different than how I wanted to, like, I wanted to play a lead in this story, or I wanted to play a crazy character, or side character in this story, or whatever. But that might not be what the story needs. So, so that part, we kind of are trained to let our own ideas and, and desires go in service of what this of what the story is is so, needing. And so, in this case, the story might be a relationship. Yeah. So, in the same way, itself. if I can get my ego out of the mm -hmm. way of like what I wanted this Saturday night to look like, or what I what I think is should be or is fair or whatever, and I'm just kind of serving the relationship then and, and we're both doing that then that's a really healthy way to approach things obviously you know 
Right. If there's something wrong with the relationship, you got to address it. And, you know, and improv and mindfulness can help you do that as well because you're present and noticing and not afraid to say say what's there. I think there's a fundamental thing, too, that we haven't really said yet, which is totally true in a business setting as well, that play is healing. It's healthy. And connective. And and it brings people together. It's very intimate in a non-sexual way. It builds trust. It's like... It explores possibility. It teaches us how to get overcome obstacles mm-hmm. you know we put obstacles in front of ourselves on purpose and we get over them and they're like oh now when we face an obstacle i've got some ideas about how to get over it yeah. but it's also just we laugh you know and so if a, if a couple or a work partnership or a team can laugh together there's just a there's a buffer for when the hard times come it's like whoop, you've got some cushion to soften the blows mm-hmm I was going to say to keep you afloat. You've got some cushion to keep you afloat, but that's a mixed metaphor. <laughs> you guys work with who? Teachers, old people, young people? Well, I think this All has been... All of the above. Yeah, this has been one of our challenges, too, is to, to articulate who's the ideal person for us to work with. Because we kind of believe that every person on Earth needs this. So it's like, I think we're both reluctant to be like, this is our target demographic. That's a tough marketing plan, though. Yeah. Okay, who are you going for? Everybody on earth. Yeah, every single person. Uh, I, I think so far, um, I would say that we've had retirees who are kind of figuring out what their next steps are or wanted to... And you've done them or not done them, but led workshops or... Yeah, they've come to our workshops. We haven't done a Our workshops are like open workshop. enrolment workshops. Yeah. So those have, that's, all of these people are just people who have happened to sign up. We haven't kind of targeted them specifically. And we've had a lot of educators, teachers... And we've had a handful of improvisers. Mm-hmm. And then the random like person like Noel or David Everling, who mm-hmm. was just like a young, they're young people who are just interested in this stuff. Yep. Heard about it. Professionals. Somehow they know us or they trust us or, yeah. or they got a recommendation. And, and I think our stuff is particularly well suited to teachers because we talk a lot about teaching and I think that we do a good job of teaching and so there's when a teacher comes to the retreat they're getting the content and they're also getting the the way we teach the way we teach as another curriculum but I think that would be true for a lot of people work professionals professional uh, people in, in work settings could get a lot out of that too um, but retirees old dogs new tricks mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah kind of like sometimes people are looking for uh a positive way to approach the next chapter of their lives. Mm-hmm. I think we would do really well working with college-age people, you know, leading young retreats or young executives, um, entrepreneurs, folks in healthcare. Um, we had we actually had some folks in some doctors at our retreat last year who saw a lot, a lot of yeah. resonance. Resonance in dealing with patients or families or both. Yeah. yeah. And I've, I've actually, one of them brought me in to do some work this year, multiple times, to come do some things with her at med school and with the uh, American Academy for, the communi- for Communication in Healthcare. You know, there's some who say that we would do better to specifically say, this is a retreat for healthcare professionals. In fact, most marketing professionals would say that we would do well yeah. to do that. <laughs> yeah. This is a retreat for teachers. This right. is, if you this are retreat for old people, yeah, yeah. If you are this, this, and this, then this retreat is for you. And we have not done that, and we should. What Probably. are the re- <laughs> what are the rewards and what are the challenges? 
For us? Oh. Mm-hmm. Well, to me, the big, the big reward, um, well, there's a bunch. One is building our connection. We have a great time together and... Um, <laughs> yeah, we get to teach together. Any day I get to hang out with Lisa Roland is a good day. So there's that. Um, like, oh, cool, we're doing a retreat. Five days of great times. <laughs> um, there's that. But there's also, um, I feel when I'm doing this retreat that I'm, I'm kind of being my best self. That I'm using a, a wide, almost full range of my skills. Not entirely fullest, fullest range, but I get to include... My mindfulness side, my improv side, my teacher side, my playful side, my learner side, my organizational side, you know. So I get to I get to be who I am. The most. The most. Yeah. Um, and because we're choosing to do them in beautiful settings, I get to be in a beautiful place. So there's kind of that that reward. And coming out on the other end of feeling like, yeah, for that amount of time I did good work in the world. And it's clean. It's energetically clean. Like I'm not, you know, when we, whatever money we make from doing this, it's like, yeah, that's, that's good, honest money. That's, that's right livelihood. How about you? Reward. Can't think of any. No, just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just say, know. just say, me too. <laughs> me too, ditto. True that. Uh, no, yeah, I, I, I just love teaching. I just love teaching improv. So part of it is I get to deepen my mindfulness practice. Like, that's something that I'm kind of always wanting to do. And when we do these workshops, I get to do it for sure because it's built into the programming. And I, so I get to, I get that. Uh, I just love showing this stuff to people. I love watching them discover what's inside this stuff. I love it. I, it, it feels like it's one of the reasons I'm here. And so in that same way of like, I get to do this work and it's like, answering something kind of essential or fundamental that I think is, I just think it's really positive in the world. Like I think it's just doing, it's helping people move through the world in a good way and showing them a, a way to do that. And I have gotten such, such good stuff from that. And I get great joy in, in showing, in, in exploring it with other people. Mm-hmm. How about challenges? What are the challenges? Um, there's always too much to do. We don't have time to do it mm-hmm. all. So picking the right kind of wanting to know that we're giving people the best sequence of stuff in the right order that, and we can't just decide on it because every group is different and the energy right. of every group is different. So it's a challenge that I actually really love of like feeling the room and being like, we need something nonverbal now, or we need, yeah. we need a break or we need to. Let's do some. What is it? And we have these little mini conferences all day long, every day, where it's like, oh, you feeling this one? Like, yeah, let's let's scrap that and do this other thing, uh, which is which is a challenge. So you improv along the way. Totally. Yes. Uh, uh, but I really love. I literally love that challenge. I always um, I always hope that it makes a lasting impact on people, and we don't always we can't always know that it has. You know, because we don't always have repeated con- contact with people, and uh, I'd like to. What are some of the examples of the improv scenes? I'm sure there's thousands. Can I? Can I yeah. The, for me, one of the biggest challenges, I think this is true for both of us, uh, is the marketing side. Oh, well, God, yeah. Figuring out how to articulate. Getting people into the workshop. And, and getting people here. So uh, everybody who's come has had a great time. Only one of the ones that we've offered has been full. And so I'd love to 
to have more. And part of that is because I'd love to make more money with it, but it's also, I'd love to share it with more people. And it feels rich and multi-layered when we've got more people. For me, there's also the challenge of, uh, I'm an introvert, and so these are really intense experiences of spending time with people all day. And I'm not only spending time with them, but I'm leading it. And so we're on in a certain way. And so sometimes you get to the end of it, it's like, whew, I just need to chill out for a bit. Um, it feels good. It's like we've been of use and that's great and I'm willing to give that up. But in a given day, that can be a challenge of like, like just tonight after dinner, I thought, I need to go be by myself for a little bit. So I just went in the other room and let people continue their conversation. That, that was fine. Um, and as Lisa said, figuring out what to include. So we, this is the first year we've done, first time we've done a five-day retreat. We originally did a two-day retreat. And we're like, we need more time. So we went to three, and we did several that way. And Three's okay. Three's fine. But five Five's feels like... better because you have more opportunity. You've got more chance to sink in and to give people time to integrate what we're doing. Yeah, so, like the hike yesterday, and to, we're taking tonight off, and just like giving a little bit of space so that they can be ready for more. Give me a few examples of improv scenes. I know there's unlimited, but what are some of the things? Like games? Scenes or games, yeah. Well, game. well, both. More of the time we do games. Yeah. Tell me a game. Um, just play a little three things. Yeah, or like word at a time. Sure. Okay, so we'll tell, uh, we'll tell a word at a time story. Word at a time? Yeah. Boom, boom, yeah. Boom. yeah. Once upon a time, there was a family who moved from... Delaware to California. Good move. <laughs> Every <laughs> day they would go outside to the beach and surf the waves major. Okay. And so that's one game. What other, what other games? Yeah. Uh, let's see. Other games. Um, spontaneity games? Yeah. Three things? Three, three things. things. Uh, three ways you could get a dog through a keyhole. Shrink them, cut them up in tiny pieces, put them in a blender. Three, Three things. things. Three things that you would wish to tell your unborn children. Keep breathing. It's a beautiful world. You're a good person. Three, Three things. things. Three can names for candle scents that haven't been created already. Amber romance. Uh, peppermint dreams. Rose-colored glasses. Mm. Three things. Okay, good. So there's so that's just kind of like a little spontaneity, a spontaneity okay, game. But scenes. Talk to me, scenes. Give me a go. The, the the scenes that we start with are called park bench scenes that we already talked to you about, where two strangers sit on a bench, and then we and then they we just start. They just start. They just start. start. And we and we kind of yeah, the way I think about it is you kind of find out why these two people sat next to each other on a bench. Like those generally we've learned something about them. They affect one another somehow. Um, so park bench scenes, strangers on a bench. Uh, today we did a really fun, a really fun game in which it was all about accepting endowments. So one person was uh, seated in front of the array of us, of everybody else, yeah. and it was kind of their job to like they had to sit down as an open slate, like a wide, a blank slate, and every question, and we we gave them, we fired questions at them, and the questions informed them as to who they were. So one of them was. Uh, so, how does it feel to be back on land? 
And the person had to go, oh, well, uh, you know, uh, great, really nice to be back finally. I mean, it's been so long that I've been at sea. It's been over a year. And so then somebody else would ask another question. Yeah, it wasn't originally supposed to be that long, was it? Well, no, it was a cruise for a week, but we got way off course. You know, so... This, the whole group is building it together with that person. Yeah, and that person is practicing accepting offers and building and kind of building on uh, on the endowments of the group. And we're coach, we're coaching them to say yes to every single question. Yeah. Because it it thrusts the adventure forward. Yeah. What would you use word endowment? What that means? An endowment is a the definition of some some part of the world. So if I came in, if you and I were in a scene together, and I came in and I said, "Hey, Dad, school today was so hard. My geography test was." you know, awful or whatever, then I've endowed you as my father. I've kind of defined our relationship. I've endowed us as father and father and daughter, and I've endowed me as being school age. Okay. So it's just kind of like defining the world. Meditation, what types of things for meditation or mindfulness? What types of things are we doing for mindfulness? Um, well, every morning we're doing a mindful movement thing, um, which is kind of like yoga. Uh, we're usually doing a sitting meditation of some sort focusing on the breath or thoughts, relating to thoughts differently. Today we did a walking meditation. We do some contemplative practices like journal writing or working with art, creating art, uh, some guided imagery. What's that mean? Uh, for example, we do an exercise called um, meeting your creativity. <clears throat> and I lead them through... Uh, imagining a screen in front of their forehead and the image will come up when I ask a question. And the question is, what does your creativity look like? And so whatever image they see come up, they then open their eyes and draw it. Those are great. Anything else you want to add? Come to our workshop. Come to our workshop next year. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like fun. Yeah, I think, I think it's funny because I, I, I think that there's part of you that would be hesitant because you've got this, such a strong observer that you'd always be like, oh, I could write about this. Or, <laughs> or, 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 oh, I see what she's doing because you're fascinated by watching other people. But I also think that you would yeah. love, you'd crack up all the time and you'd find things to say. It's so and do fun. The other, the other part, like the other part that is so delightful that we, that we adults rarely get to engage in is their, their imaginations and the imaginations of their partners. Like we, so as adults, it is rare to have Super a chance to, to play imaginatively with ourselves and with our partners. And, the, and the, uh, just selfishly, one of the things I love about improvisation is that I can inhabit countless worlds. I can be any kind of character and I get to climb into those. And that, it's just, it is full of delight. It is, it is a world and a way of being that is full of delight. And when you find other human beings, other adults who are willing to do that with you, it's like a special treasure. Yeah, I have a question for you, David, which is what struck your fancy to want to ask us to want to do this conversation? It was, a, it was a slow news week. <laughs> <laughs> I need something, please. I, got, uh... I, I always have ample. Uh, I do. I like to write about stuff which interests me and I think will have interest in applicability to, to readers of all ages. Cool. Doesn't have to be old, might be old. So that somebody reads it and says, hey, that's kind of neat. I didn't think of that. And knowing you guys and thinking I knew, I mean, kind of knew what you do. Yeah. It struck me. Awesome. This was really nice. That was really actually fun to... Mm -hmm. He's a good... 
and uh, interviewer. Yeah, that was really nice. Thank okay. you. Thank you. It's fun for me. Thanks, cool. Dee. I look forward to reading it, if you end up writing it. Folks, that was David's interview of us. Yeah, we had a good time getting our thoughts together on that. And uh, and this next part is actually you're going to hear from some of our participants in the Mindful Play workshop about what they were getting out of the workshop, what surprised them, what they hope they'll take away with them. And we've just included a few short snippets. Yeah. Uh, interviewed them briefly, and uh, here's what they have to say. Yeah. Enjoy. came not knowing what this was going to be like uh, and also knowing that it would be different and it would be fun. To be part of something where you're building something that is much greater than uh, either you could do yourself or any individual separately. We can only create these things together and that's, and that's marvelous. That's just wonderful and delightful. What surprised me was how fun it was and how much I laughed. I, I'm still laughing, so I'm trying to hold it in. But the thing that also surprised me was that whole, the whole mindfulness. I didn't even pay attention to that when I was before I came. Just remembering that I need to take time to just stop and listen to my, my, my a quiet mind. And I'm hoping I'll be able to get up a little bit earlier in the mornings and do a little thinking, walking, or meditation. One of the things that has surprised me the most is how easy getting into this place of play is. It's easy, and I think that's something I really want to remember to take with me, is we can just pause remember to, to choose to be playful. I think something that um, I have really become comfortable with throughout the workshop is the ability to let go of fear. Being in a moment where you're trying to connect certain elements of a story and passing it off to someone else, there's not only fear of trying to say the right thing when sometimes there isn't a right thing. actor and an improviser and a teacher and I had an, a, a, an affirmation for my own sense of the, I think you said it, Lisa, the sacredness of play. This has been such a wonderful time, a play time and a, and a, and a time of allowance, a time to remember my own self, my own body, uh, recreate a space that I can play in, that allows the delight of being alive to kind of come through. And also, I've made all these new friends. Well, there it was, the monster baby 
survey, Monster Baby interview. <laughs> Which will soon be integrated into an essay or an opinion piece or some something in the Brunswick, Maine region. Yeah, hopefully. We'll set up a link to it on the, on the uh, website. That's right. And uh, in case it made you wildly... Uh, hungry for one of these retreats, we would like to remind you that we have one on Labor Day weekend, September 2 through 5 in Petaluma, just north of San Francisco. Petaluma, California. Uh, and yeah, we want to feed you if you're wildly hungry. Mo- let Monster Baby feed you. We would like to do that. So uh, if you need to contact us, info at monsterbabypodcast.com and uh, reach out. We'll get in touch with you. Uh, thanks so much for listening. Appreciate it. Yeah, have a good one. Okay, and now Lisa and I will improvise a poem. All right. Can we have a, a title? Or a, or a topic, a title or a topic. Or a topic, yeah, great. The flag waving on the mast. Flag? The flag waving, flag on, waving the on the mast. Okay, so this is a spoken word poem. Have you guys all seen spoken word poetry? Okay, spoken word poem inspired by a flag waving on the mast. Is that right? <clears throat> we all have ripples that blow in the wind. Fabric that fades and turns in sunlight to white, bleached, like a sand dollar in the beach. We all have this within. You, I, everyone. But what is this wind that comes from you, asking me to move my identity to please you, to move on the ripples of your waves, to move in the, in the waves of your wind? You take your wind out of my flag so that my identity may be exactly what I have decided rather than the plaything for the tendrils of your influence. Can you not feel my flagpole? I am rooted tall. My rope reaches to the sky and lifts my flag high. And it is not on another's ocean that I do set sail, but on the ocean of the blood that does run through my veins, pumping through the ventricles, the atria of my heart, taking that vessel to shores you can't even imagine. The beacon for all the blood that would rush within us, brothers, sisters, the flag high on the hill for everyone to see, to rise up and arrive together in truth. The wood in my ship is the bones of my father. The wood in my mast is the femur of my great-grandmother who came to this country for a better life, and now I set sail in her story to find out what that ending looks like. The hull of this boat, a space of possibility. A keel of this boat, a rudder that leads us forward into what we know and what we will be. And on the horizon, you will see my flag. Flying as truth. This is no mere point.